Hello, and welcome to Intellectual Stupidity, a podcast where we talk about all sorts of topics from intellectually stimulating to downright stupid, run by your hosts, Alan, Alan, and Anthony. And today, we've got a, a guest on the podcast, if you'd like to go ahead and introduce yourself, Kyle. Yeah, what's up? I'm Kyle. <laughs> hey, Kyle. Hello. Wow. Uh, uh, I'm, my name is my name is Kyle. I am a teacher with the Peel District School Board. I teach middle school, mostly French, and I do a lot of activist work within the board and within my own school environment uh, to advance and advocate for those who are LGBTQ and their allies. Excuse me, two S LGBTQ and their allies, and so on and so forth. Nice. Yeah. So that's what yeah. we're going to be going over today. Uh, yeah. Since you know it's Pride June, Month, so Pride Month episode. It's like the end of June. Like yeah, we. <laughs> well, well, the we end of June is when right. Toronto Pride happens, so I mean, it's not yeah. far off. Yeah, right. But you know, I always wanted to learn French, but uh, I I always seem to fail. Yeah. Maybe Kyle can teach me. Well, okay. I'm told that I do a decent job of it, so. All right. Well, is there anything we'll you want to start <laughs> off by saying? Uh, oh no, I want to let you guys take the reins here. Okay. So. Basically, let's start off with, well, okay, I was going to say, everybody everybody knows what uh, being, like, gay and LGBTQ uh, plus is, right? So, yeah. I guess yeah. all, all of our listeners, every, everybody knows, so it's probably not necessary to explain that. Right, so uh, I think, first of all, do you think schools are doing enough? Uh, right now in the modern day to support the LGBTQ community? I think we're trying. I think that... Uh, see, that the problem with that is that it's a very loaded question. There are a lot of different factors involved in creating proper and positive and safe spaces for TS LGBTQ kids. So I think the first part of the answer is that the in general, the motivation and the heart is in the right place. All of us in our schools want to do the best we can by our students. Um, and, uh, and especially with the, the latent push towards intersectionality and understanding a diverse set of realities, um, we, we are, we're really learning how those, you know, in the intersections of those identities that we experience within school, uh, how they, how they show themselves, how they present themselves and how to teach in a way that's inclusive of those things. So I'd say the effort is certainly there, um, but I, I do think that, by and large, the variety of obstacles that we encounter, uh, there's no quick or easy fix to them. And so what we're seeing now is a lot of changes, a lot of positive moves, and things that are simply just going to take time and effort uh, to accomplish, if that makes sense. Right. right. Yeah. Of course, everything, all kinds of change are going to take uh Time. And I think uh, this in particularly, what we're talking about, uh, is going to take a lot of time. Well, especially because there's uh, there's a prevailing notion, and I so for context, my, I teach at the middle school level. Um, I'm also gay, and my students always know. Not just because, they, like, of course, they know before they meet me sometimes because I mean people talk, but and I mean I'm not exactly subtle either. I don't think. But um, yeah, but I make a point. I make a point of telling. Uh, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> You're welcome anytime. But uh, <laughs> but I make a point of I make a point of coming out to my kids as well, like usually around coming out day in October, um, because I think that it's important for. And of course, this isn't me saying that teachers who don't come out, queer teachers who don't come out, are doing something wrong. They're certainly not. Um, it's a matter of professional comfort and personal comfort, but. I do believe that if we are in a position to come out to our kids and in a position to share who we are with our kids, it's important that we at least try to do so because having visible role models in the room, we already know it's well established how much of a difference that can make for a kid's education and also for a kid's personal and social development and an understanding of who they are. Uh, if I'm, um, I don't know, if I'm the only, for example, black kid in a room full of white kids and my teacher is also white, I'm going to feel like I'm on an island, right? I don't, of course, I'm not black myself, so I'm only speaking from an outsider perspective. But I have a black teacher all of a sudden, and at least I have the role model in the room to suggest to me that who I am 
is someone who can be that figure in someone's life, who can be someone in a position of authority, perhaps, or someone who is someone ha who has a, a full and rich life. These are things, uh, speaking as a kid who was gay, or figuring out I was gay, these are not things that I would have known when I was even necessarily your age. I <laughs> took me a long time to really figure out that I could, you know, have a career, have a family, be happy, um, and still be gay. This is news. So the, 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 the reality, just coming back to the point I started on, I ramble a lot, forgive me, um, is uh, that at the middle school and elementary level, there's a prevailing notion that conversations around queerness, around two, the 2SLGBTQ set of realities, is age inappropriate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of that, from what I understand, comes down to LGBTQ being overly sexualized, and that is just, it, it's ridiculous, yeah. but it also does explain a lot of issues like biphobia or people, or um, LGBTQ um, communities, if you will, excluding asexuals or aromantic people. Yeah. And in fairness, like, it's, you're right, it's nonsense. The over, the hypersexualization from the outside of the queer experience is, we know it to be nonsense if we're part of that, 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 that circle. I'm queer. Those who have queer friends or those who are allies know it's nonsense. It's, and, and who you love is much more than just, you know, who you're in bed with. It's yeah. about family. It's about identity. It's about discover the self-discovery. Um, but uh, from the outsider perspective, when all you know is the hypersexualization of it, when it's the only thing you've been exposed to, it's kind of understandable how people reach that conclusion. It's still an incorrect conclusion, but it's a more understandable one to have reached. And that's and understanding where that comes from is an a crucial ingredient in pushing back on it. So bring it back around to the conversation in schools. Half the time, the conversation doesn't happen as much or as fulsomely in schools because of that prevailing notion of age appropriateness that we're still working on combating, even at the middle school level. Um, you know, I work with, I've worked in my career with a lot of very well-intentioned and wonderful people who have had to take a bit of journey on this themselves and understand that, you know, no, grade six, even grade four, even grade two is not too young to understand that you might you know, you might have questions about yourself. You might be a different gender than the one you were assigned at birth. You might be, uh, you might in fact be queer or some form or even ace or whatever. It doesn't even matter. I, I can pinpoint my first crush on a boy to when I was in grade two uh, or even grade one. So it's the kind of, it's, it's a conversation that needs to happen more often because there's a lot more support for queer kids in high school than in middle and a lot more in middle than in elementary by and large. What do you think is, like, the appropriate time to teach kids about their, like, about, like, different types of, like, sexual uh, orientations and whatnot? Like, is, oh, cause, if I may interject, is there an appropriate time or is that more of, like, a personal thing? Oh, there's, there's no such thing as too early, in my opinion. Um, granted, the conversation will always change depending on the age of the kids you're dealing with. Um, because in general, because in general, com more complex and more involved conversations about relationships, you don't generally have those with kindergartners to begin with. But kindergartners can understand how two people love one another and what a relationship is, because most of them have two parents or have, you know, <laughs> have um, relationships in their lives where they see uh, two people who love one another, maybe, you know, aunts, uncles, that kind of thing. Um, and on top of that, um, what often we kind of forget when we discuss when we should start the conversation is that there are children in our classrooms who might have gay parents, for example, or uh, gay siblings or other members of the family uh, or family friends. And the same goes for the same goes for uh, any other, anything else along the LGBTQ umbrella, umbrella, whether it's trans or two spirit or whether it's uh, uh, ace or a row, like any of these could be a reality for a child in their own family. And part of the importance of having the conversation at the school level is to ensure that those kids feel that their experience of life is, one, represented in their classrooms, but two, more importantly, that 
that people from those walks of life are welcome in their classrooms. If I'm a kid with gay parents and I never hear about people who are like my two dads, for example, how am I going to feel? How am I going to feel about the about my own experience? This is part of why this is part of why we look critically at uh, whole class activities for Father's or Mother's Day and take that you know gently because there are kids from single parent families, right? And lots of them, and uh, and there may be kids who don't have a dad or don't have a mom. Along the same token, we 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 engage kids in the realities of what different relationships there are because we know that these are people they may share their lives with. These are people who may be direct parts of their lives as their families. Okay, so uh, you're talking about when, uh, how early we should be teaching kids. Uh, do you think this should be something set in the school curriculum, perhaps in a health class? Because I know certainly uh, health classes in my elementary school and middle school, we didn't cover any of this. Do you think that should be implemented? And if so, to what degree should it be uh, part of the curriculum? Hmm. You ready for another complicated answer? <laughs> yep. Go right ahead. The reality is that two SLGBTQ conversations are already embedded in pretty much every curriculum document. They're part of the front matter, which in essence is the the stuff that sh- that ultimately you know is the background for everything that we do. This includes other equity realities as well, obviously things like racism and sexism and. Um, and socioeconomic status and all those other things that we talk about that represent differences among us, but still, um, but show but show the diversity among us. So item one, should it be in the curriculum? It is. It's there. Congratulations. Here's your T-shirt. Um, but uh, but the but the layered question on top of that, because I heard you mention health class in particular. Um, and uh, just as a just as a thought experiment, when you say health class, what context do you mean when you say that? Okay, well, I'm talking about when I was in health class in per se middle school, we learned a lot about uh, like how sex works, for example. Mm. That we were taught pretty much exclusively about how heterosex goes. Like that's what was right? yeah that's that was what was like quote-unquote normal yeah well yeah then there's that notion of normal right and that's a whole nother conversation but uh bringing this back around so what you're talking about is sex ed essentially essentially yeah now let's explore that thought experiment further if the only context in which 2slgbtq realities are brought up is in sex ed what message are we sending it's it's continuing the over sexualization Exactly right, and so you're you're but you're in. Who was it that asked that question? Alan. 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 That was a really good question to ask because our instinct is that those conversations should be localized to conversations where we do deal with relationships. And the thing is, there aren't a lot of places in the curriculum where exclusively, or rather explicitly, deal with relationships, interpersonal relationships, romantic relationships outside of sex ed or to give it its formal name, the health and development, uh, human growth and development, excuse me, um, category of the health curriculum. Yeah. And that is, is the... Oh, sorry, go sorry no, go ahead. Yeah, the thing is, since I was, uh, after grade five, my high, my school life got a bit weird since I was, like, jumping from homeschooling to kind of in class to private school to... I don't Weird stuff was going on, but... I didn't really get that experience. I had my mother, who is a <laughs> midwife, so she has no issues talking about that. Like, I remember when I was uh, in Navy League, uh, I met a friend of mine, and at some point, the topic came up that he had two mothers, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this was new to me, so I'm like, what? How How does he exist? And so my mother gave me a list of options of how could, you know, how two moms could have a child and it turned out to be the genetic one so but well, the funny just... thing is very sorry. chill yeah go ahead no just the funny thing is about that is like in my in my own lens in my own experience as an educator and this may be my own bias because i have a lot of experience talking about you know queer stuff but from my from my point of view the way that you were able to get that answer is the way that any student should really be able to expect to get that answer. Asking how a gay couple 
can have a child that's not a sexually explicit conversation in the slightest adoption is a thing surrogacy is a thing uh, we don't have to go into the details of pregnancy in order to state that you know there are multiple paths to having a family right and that's something we should talk about in general anyway i'm adopted and my parents are straight so like um it's 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 again that prevailing idea that there has to be a specific time and place for conversations like that and that derails us a lot i think from many opportunities to help normalize and humanize more importantly than normalize humanize the conversation around 2slgbtq people mind you a lot of that's changing and we're when we're and there's been there's been a lot of push to really engage in those conversations at all ages and that is forward momentum and i've been 100 percent behind that um because you know i love it i love seeing the representation happen i love going to school and seeing the pride flag outside so things are happening um but what i'm talking about are the obstacles that still present themselves even as the things happen these are things that these are these are these are bumps in the road that are difficult to name difficult to combat because well xyz there's a lot of reasons actually yeah now here's a question that i inevitably end up asking whenever anything that's like exploded within the last 30 years i always have to ask the internet hmm. what sort of impact has it had in your opinion or oh, in your oh. observation <sighs> massive massive and uh, well i'm always on the fence about the benefits versus the drawbacks of the extensive access to internet and information that kids growing up in your generation and the generations i'm teaching have and there are <laughs> there are there are advantages and there are significant drawbacks um example I'm not a fan of social media. I think social media has ruined our public consciousness and our ability to critically think about current events in the news uh, and has hyper-sensationalized uh, far, far too many things to be healthy. And I also find that social media is particularly toxic when it comes to kids vis-a-vis uh, -vis things like cyberbullying and, and so on and so forth. It, it really enables some god-awful behaviors and, um, and really, really unfortunate situations that when I was a kid, <laughs> we wouldn't even have had access to. I had the privilege of being an idiot kid doing all my idiot things without anyone recording me doing it, you know? And that's yeah. something I think has been a huge, 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 huge kneecap to, the, uh, to, to those folks growing up now. However, the easy access to information and the, more importantly, to people, the connect... I was actually just speaking with some of my students... Um, who identify of course i'm not going to tell you who they are but um no. but uh the conversation came up about how they figured out who they were and how, what their identities were and TikTok came up three times in that conversation um because during the pandemic and this is the interesting part because we're overlapping with the uh, overlapping rather with the um with the with you know covid and with the with the being shut in our homes thing TikTok came up more than once because there were some really influential TikTokers and interesting people that 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 the that my students were following, and watching them made them realize that they had some of the some of the same things in common and had some of the same questions. So I think that some of my students, um, and mind you, when I say my students, I mean like students I students I interact with, not necessarily students in my own classes, but um, but some of my students were able to discover things about themselves they might not have otherwise had access to. Like my partner, for example, trans guy, and he didn't know what trans was when he was young. It was not until he was older and he figured out, oh, that fits, that he was able to start making moves to align himself. This is why we're seeing it happen younger, not because the media or whoever is tricking kids into believing that they're trans and not because it's a trend, but because kids, are, kids have access to experiences and realities they may not have had before. And because of that, they're, they're more quickly understanding just what the bleep is going on inside their own heads. Right. If that makes I think, sense. I think the internet is, like, it's a blessing but a curse. And it uh, it depends on, like, what it is. Because yeah. uh, recently, as of, like, uh, compared to, what, like, 20 years ago, uh, we are much more 
you know, I don't know the proper word for it. But I guess I've... Interconnected? Like, maybe? no, I mean, like, woke, I guess. Like, we, <laughs> we accept, we, I, I, I yeah, don't know no. another term, right? But I get what basically, it's like, basically, it's like, we're more accepting of, uh, things like LGBTQ and um, because we now have more information right and the thing about that is uh, like now uh, when there are people who are against it and saying like really awful things that are wrong and lies uh, because be a lot of involved. people because a lot of majority of people uh, agree that you know it's okay to be uh, gay and whatnot and so you, uh, you will see on the internet lots of people say really wrong things and a lot of people who uh have different views usually like bash them until they won't uh you know until like their accounts get deleted but then there are uh issues where like things that uh could be well okay what i'm trying to say is like basically now you know i think it brings a lot of uh much less hate than it did uh, like let's say a couple years ago and now it's like every, you know, now it's more accepting and that's awesome. And the thing is, depending on what it is, though, like cyberbullying still exists. But I feel like personally, from my personal experience, I don't have any um, any experience in cyberbullying or really bullying at all. I'm very fortunate. But based on my experience and, uh, you know, I, I would think that there is less cyberbullying of uh, people, of like for the reason of being gay than there was a few years ago. I feel like that's much more accepting. Not to say, like, it doesn't happen. But I think it may happen to a much uh, lower degree. And so, like... But then, again, there's also a bunch of different issues that haven't come to light yet that kids do get cyberbullied for. And well, I feel like it, it brings a lot of things to light, but then, then again, a lot of people also have the wrong opinion, and it allows people to, like connect together so all the people with the wrong opinions yeah. connect together one thing yeah that really that's precisely what i was about to say one was the thing, echo chamber effect yeah. if i may um yeah. there is one thing that needs to be very clearly understood by everyone who uses the internet it is a platform there is no like like a lot of times we say that it's only this or only that it is a platform and a platform is whatever you make it to be so if you make it to be completely homophobic and hating everyone except you, it will be that. If you make it the most accepting place that you can ever find, it will be it will be that. It all depends on the user. Well, it depends on the users, but I also want to I want I want to step back a moment and say because I agree that in many scenarios, especially when we, you know, we happen around Pride Month and suddenly every logo has a rainbow on it, uh, which is entirely I another mean... another conversation entirely. But um I also think there's a huge component of that that really depends on where you live and who you live with and who you are surrounded by as a community. Even on the internet where we have access to whoever, we have to remember that that echo chamber effect, particularly when we look at social media, I mean, the algorithm decides what you see. You don't decide what you see, right? Yeah. I know Facebook is a bit dated, but it's a classic example where it, it caters what you see to what you, what you put in and who yeah, you're connected to. Like Instagram right? and TikTok, like oh my god, TikTok's um, system is it's so good. Like no, it's concerning. Well, it's you so have, good. It's concerning. you have no control except specific users that you can follow. Otherwise, all the new content it just looks at what you enjoy, what you look at, what you like, what you comment on, say, and then gives you like stuff depending on that. Because for example, See? with Reddit or Facebook, you can join communities. But here, no, it decides everything for you. Well, and the, the thing is, Facebook does that too. Facebook, you can join communities, but what you see on your feed is going to be catered to what you have put into it and what your interests are, and more importantly, what your how your beliefs and even politics are aligned. See, this is why I say it's a problem. Is because, you know, the, the, let's look at, for example, y'all play video games? I do. Uh-huh. Yes, Okay. Let's look, let's look then at the, at the example of diversity in video games, right? Um, Yahtzee Croshaw recently did a really interesting uh, extra punctuation segment on diversity in video games where he 
in his own way, was able to was able to show evidence that games are getting more diverse, which is great. But uh, how many of you have heard the backlash when there are diverse characters in video games? Quite a bit. Yes. Yeah. It's it's ugly, right? It's quite ugly, and uh, and uh, it that's just one microcosmic example of how when we are um, when we when we're put into when we're not expect. See, one of the things he was saying in that video was uh, that div- he, he kind of led by saying diversity in games is good. He shouldn't have to explain why. He does, though, and he more or less says that if the only viewpoints you're exposed to are the ones you're already comfortable with, you are completely denied the opportunity to view the world from any other perspective beyond the one that already fits within your shoes. And that is not how you learn and grow and change. You have to look at other lives, other perspectives, other viewpoints, if for no other reason than to understand how they got to be those viewpoints. You have to look beyond your own sphere. And what social media creates for us, talking about TikTok, for example, what it creates for us is a little bubble in which the only things you experience are the things that you are used to experiencing and fit within your own worldview and your own set of realities. And that is not growth and that's what that's the poisonous thing about social media is and the reason that it's responsible for so many uh political problems nowadays is because it provide it is a platform yes but it is a very catered platform that doesn't allow people to exercise empathy or critical thought when presented with things that oppose or contradict their worldview There's a reason that they say people become less homophobic or transphobic when they know someone who's queer or trans, and it's because they can humanize it. They, it's the conversation becomes not about these these hypothetical queers in a box over here somewhere out of the way, but rather about the people that they're sharing their time with here and now. The number of times that's happened to students I teach, I've probably lost count of if I knew them all, um, because I've you know I'm a good person. Uh, I'm someone they like, and because they like me, they start to think, well, maybe I, maybe there's more to this whole gay conversation than I thought. And that doesn't happen with social media. Um, yeah, kind of building off of that, one thing that I thought was interesting is with a lot of characters whose sexuality isn't defined, I found that a lot of people actually prefer that. One thing I bring up, some article on Halo that I found one time <laughs> where someone was saying that Master Chief should be bi or something and people were responding saying uh, no this shouldn't be the case and this wasn't because they were biphobic or anything they were saying that it's much preferable to keep those kinds of characters as characters who can be whatever you like uh, some like a self-insert or uh, someone that like you can look up to and can just be whatever. And I think that's very interesting that that's popped up recently. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's genuine merit to that. I do. Yeah. The undertale community definitely leans into that big time with undertale and Deltarune both having non-gender defined, uh, main characters. Mm. Which is different from saying that those characters are specifically canonically non-binary. Like, yeah, they're not referred to like, Like the main character of Undertale is referred to as they and them throughout, but that does not mean that they person they specifically are non-binary. They're you know self-insert. They they are exactly that. They can be, but that but that's just the argument, right? What would what would Toby Fox say? Would Toby Fox say? I don't know what he has said, so you know don't quote me here. But would he say that the character is in fact you know genderless or would or non-binary or would would Toby Fox say that it the 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 gender imposed upon upon uh, um, upon the main I'm trying not to say the real name of the character because it's a spoiler but um, but the gender imposed on that character is introduced by the player and you know it's I'm not I, it's I have a hard time deciding which side which side of that coin I land on because I can see the merits I can see the merits in both directions I think that there's actually a healthy place for both Um depending depending on the context depending on what kind of game it is or depend what kind of narrative experience it's creating and especially given it's undertale which is a game thoroughly driven by player choice and consequence um having the player feel as close to 
that character as possible and relate to them as much as possible lean makes makes me lean towards um makes me lean towards the character being whatever the player understands them to be on the flip side let's go back to your halo example um master chief is a defined character right with a defined plot arc and the fact that he's kind of faceless um and granted i'm i'm working off a very 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 limited knowledge of what goes on in halo but um but the but the story arcs in that game are quite different and within uh within a within a story that is um that is less uh, that is less defined by what the player does like halo <laughs> halo's a game with a plot that kind of has more or less decided itself by the time you start playing am i right yes yeah it's story an extremely right. convoluted plot with a lot of words that i don't understand but a plot nonetheless <laughs> Yeah, you go on and you, uh, you defeat the alien and there's yeah. some other stuff. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Aliens, bad, kill all the aliens. Fair enough. Um, but that plot is pretty much written from the outset. So having a character who who is defined in that sense can be very positive, especially a positive form of representation. Let's say Master Chief is canonically bisexual. That is overt bisexual representation in video games the likes of which we don't see very much, right? It also yep. is five, six, seven games later, so it's a bit shoehorned in, but <laughs> um, it kind of like saying, you know, Dumbledore is gay sometime after the fact. But um, but that doesn't necessarily make it bad or unwelcome, um, and it doesn't necessarily make it, make it negative representation. It's better to have a character, you know, that's defined within a certain... Within a certain um, set of parameter like look at um look at a very story focused game like the witcher 3 anybody played that one no. unfortunately no no i know you're a big fan but none of i'm a huge have. fan it's an excellent game but uh you know if someone tried to argue that for example Geralt of rivia is queer i'd be like nah no he's not um he might be in your own little fan fiction universe and that's fine but the reality of that character the way he's written is no he's not he's 100 percent uh, a, a into into women and that is made abundantly clear in the game and there's a play and there is a place for that my argument on that subject is there are many places for the heterosexual character many many outlets spoken or unspoken where the implication is that the character that you're playing as is straight that is very well represented in media and what we are lacking less so than we were i admit but what we are lacking is intentional and positive representation of queer characters as an example of the type in in minor ways that you do see in undertale or in um oh gosh um there are other examples and i just can't deltarune? bring it up um yeah sure deltarune or even like celeste i hear a lot about um, oh yes yeah. Celeste has a lot of stereotypes around it <laughs> yes yeah. for sure but and it's subtle in celeste but established it's canonical right or you have um, you have games like Hollow Knight, where again the 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 player character is canonically non-gendered, right? Yes. So, I think I think you see story. examples like this all over the place, especially in more recent and more modern shifts in gaming. But the interesting thing to me is the dialogue around that and where it goes, and who the more uh, irate <laughs> conversations on that subject come from. Mm -hmm. um if there's nothing else going on with the video game stuff i wanted to uh how would we go... delve into more of like uh real life experiences for you Ooh. since uh what I was you gonna know, say, sure, whatever. so <laughs> one thing i wanted to go on and i think you mentioned this extremely briefly was with like pride month and ha and everyone putting the uh rainbow on their logos and whatnot oh god you there's think... a topic yes so <laughs> do you think uh, what are your thoughts on it, first of all? And also, do you think perhaps having this kind of isolated to one month or, like, one having these things uh, isolated to a specific date or place could be harmful in any way? Here's where it's harmful. Like, here, okay, so <laughs> when I was growing up, the Pride Month rainbow thing was not a thing. And if it was, if I were able to see rainbows everywhere... Um, and feel that I had a more accepting 
wider world to come into, I might have been more comfortable with myself in my teen years and able to come out sooner. It's possible. I can't tell you for sure, but it's possible. Um, meanwhile, you know, the first thing I think of when I think of a pride parade, for example, is those those TD Bank dudes in Speedos. Because... <laughs> I don't even they're know what you're talking literally, about. Like they're uh, they're front and center at the pride parade, and it's just the first image in my mind. And how sad is that? When the first thing I think of when I think of a pride parade is TD Bank. So yeah. I think that yeah. the, the corporate they... aspect of pride is troubling in many ways. Partly because, and I think this is a broader problem with the queer community overall that has been addressed more in recent years, which is nice. But the broader problem is that what started as a human rights and civil rights struggle has devolved, well, I won't say devolved, but really has metamorphed into essentially one big party. And that, I think, just to come back to your conversation about the logo thing, that's where the danger is. Not in there being rainbows for a month or even only for the one month, because, I, you know, it is Pride Month. And if it's the theme, it's the theme. That's fine. I like, for example... That now, putting rainbows on things is a way to make more money as a business. It's seen as less risk, and it's seen as more acceptable. I like that a lot, because it shows where we have shifted as a society. It's a response to society. It's not... Corporate, corporate action is never going to be something that drives human rights. It's something that responds to it. So it's a reflection that, as a society, we have gotten closer to acceptance and full-on inclusion than we were before. Here's the danger, though, is when those actions, those, 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 um, those changes, those visual representations during Pride Month are not backed up by the actions of those companies and corporations during the year or even during Pride Month. I'll give you an example. Well, I, can't, I, I don't have a specific example, but like the generic example of a company that has rainbow logos still having very harmful policies within its own workplace about the treatment of people who are trans or genderqueer, as an example, right? That's where the harm is, when a company is all talk and no action. And it's really harmful to the people who are, the people who are often working really hard within those um, companies or, or corporations or frameworks to make the rainbow stuff happen. That doesn't just happen. It happens because someone is making the effort to, to happen. For trying to, is trying to make their workplace more um, accessible and inclusive to people who are TSLGBTQ. If that's only happening on a superficial level and it isn't doing it isn't being done in a way that properly properly advocates for and improves the lives of those who are part of that organization who identify then it's pointless i don't think it's harmful in and of itself i don't think the action is harmful and it's probably a net positive but the negatives are behind the scenes the bits we don't 100 percent know or see All right. So I know you, I ramble a lot, but I hope yeah. that makes sense. It's all right. It's all right. Um. So Anthony, before I ask that question, yeah. you you want to go on to some topics? Yeah. So let's go from the like uh, more abstract and virtual sort of experiences to more sort of uh, in person. I guess. I I want to ask about like how you've seen homophobia shift like over the course of your life, like how how prominent it is, and if you don't mind uh, your personal experiences with it. Mm. Uh, I have seen, well, <laughs> uh, there's, uh, there, there's been monumental change in the time since I came out, Lord. Um, let's, let's just start with the fact that like you, would, you couldn't say gay in schools, really. Adults wouldn't talk about it. It uh, wasn't just, something that was actually sorry, Just to clarify, uh, when did you come out? Oh, excuse me. Uh, my own story is that I came out. Well, I figured out I was. I figured out as I was that I was at least by around like twelve, thirteen, fourteen, roughly there. Uh, came out to say my parents and selected people that I trusted around fourteen, and over and slowly over the course between fourteen and seventeen or so, uh, there were two things that happened. One, I figured out that you know I wasn't bi. I was actually gay, and this came as a bit of a surprise to my most recent ex girlfriend. Um, and uh, I also kind of had been m coming out more in general, being less apt to hide and more apt to tell the truth if I was asked. 
Um, you know, I wasn't leading a parade down the school hallways, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't hiding it either. Uh, so I'd say I came out, came out as gay or as queer, at least, um, probably around grade 12 or so. Which year would that be? Uh, 2005. Ah. Yeah. 2005 ish, ish around there. Okay. I graduated high school in 06, so probably 2005. All right. Uh, um, but uh, I mean, I can recall being in high school, walking down the sidewalk to go home, and getting the fag slur yelled out the window at me from a passing car. Uh, um, ah, really? Oh yeah, it only yeah. happened once. But uh, well, actually, tell a lie. It, it it only happened once when I was walking home from school. It also happened once after a queer youth group. Uh, after after a, 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 a session with a queer youth group I had joined once a week, and we used to go to the Starbucks across the way to hang out after that, and um, <laughs> and we were all we were all hanging out on the this one this one I laugh at because it was just so dumb. We're hanging out on the hill, and we're not being overly like we're not we're not hiding stuff. There's a there, you know a couple of couple of boyfriends who were kind of like lounging on the grass, obviously together, and we you know we looked like queer teenagers for whatever that's worth. And a car drives by, and someone yells out, "You're all gay!" And we're kind of like, "Thanks, thanks. That's the idea. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> well done. That's accurate." It's uh. just like when <laughs> appreciate you know, the support. I have uh, yeah, really. I have like a very, as I said earlier, like very fortunate. You know, I had really no bullying. I had no problems with other kids. It's just, it's really hard for me to imagine like just insulting a stranger like i never talked to before yeah it's just really it shocks me how like mean and cruel people can be because like i i'm just like and it's how good that you, that's how, how you, we're raced now you know like, how do you even think to do that like why would you even think of that? and it's good that our generation and younger generations are now being raised yeah, as and such Another thing that is more... Well, uh, are being I'm... raised as such here. I should point yeah, out that, that remembering that we live in a fairly privileged um, yeah, of part course, of the yes. world, and even I... part of the province. You go you go too far north in Ontario, you're going to find, you're gonna find a very different oh, reality. Yeah. Um, or Alberta. But no, but you're, but you're right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's... Yeah. You know, that's Another really point. Uh, like, sign of the times is I'm bi, right? And I've been out for a few years. And I haven't had any experience with homophobia or biphobia. Again, I've only been out for a few years, and I haven't really been, like, I, I, I've had one boyfriend that was, like, over COVID, so not really much in-person I stuff. never knew about that. Yeah, well, We've got no, some conversations do. to have later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't really, I haven't really bumped into it. I'm not exactly quiet about being guy. Like, if... I'm not out, like, shouting about it, but if the topic comes up, I'll maybe crack a few jokes, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm bi, or whatever. Um, well, oddly, you know, it's, it, confidence wards off a lot of that. Mm-hmm. If you're, I found, I found that even when I came out, like, if someone tried to belittle me about being gay, the fact that they couldn't pretty much drove them off, and I didn't get a lot after that. I had one, uh, <laughs> I had, uh, I had, uh, uh, okay, I'm sorry. I've, this is another story, but I've got to. It's just too. It's too yeah, dumb. Sure. So, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. I remember I was in grade twelve, hanging out, just kind of sitting by the doors of the music room. Just I don't know. I was sort of reading, or I don't know, whatever. Uh, and this this little <laughs> this little grade nine punk, uh, and, he, and he was a he was a punk. He was a little <laughs> little tiny white kid who's hanging out. He's hanging out with imagine. like a bunch of grade tens, and they're all. He's trying to he's trying to make out that he's like as cool as they oh, are. God. He's he's not, but like they, they're all they're all like with him and humoring him for whatever reason. I think they just wanted to see how uh, how far he could stick his head up. His but anyway. Um, so uh, he decides to make a target out of me, and he goes, "Yo, this guy's gay." And I'm like, yeah. And <laughs> you have stated a fact. And he goes, and of course he's trying. He's trying to keep this going, right? He's like, oh, you admitted it, yeah. And of course, all of them are like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, uh huh. So what? Do you want like uh, to take a trip behind the portable or something? Or like, <laughs> do you want an autograph? What can I do for you? 
And he's just, he's got nothing. After that point, he had nothing left. He's like, you're gay. And I'm like, we've established that. That's, you know, that's factual. Well done. Well done. He kind of just like slinks off with his tail between his legs and all the rest of them are just kind of like laughing at him. But I mean, but again, confidence tends to, it. well, it'll have two possible reactions. It'll, it'll, for the for the bullies of the world who fundamentally are insecure and they're not going to make themselves more insecure uh, by what they do, if you are confident enough that you you know that a bully that a bully doesn't get the net payout from from being a bully, then you know they're not they're not going to keep coming after you unless they've got backup. But uh, but on the other hand, the truly hateful, the ones who really believe what they're saying aren't going to be scared off by confidence. They're not going to be deterred by confidence. Uh, that's why you see people loudly protesting outside, uh, alongside pride parades because they are firm in what they, they believe and how they understand the world, and they believe they can back that up. Okay. Well, uh, we are reaching the end of our time here. Uh, is there oh, anything gosh. else important yeah. uh, you want to add before we shut everything off? Um, sacred time. You could sacred time. Yeah. Um, if anything, I think, uh, I, I, th I think, I think the message I would want it before, you know what? This may not make it into the final cut and I would be perfectly okay with that. Who's your audience? Like who listens to you? Um, not, not a lot of people. We're, yeah, yeah, but we're going to okay. like revamp over the summer. We are. Wait, that's that's fine. That's not me asking how popular you are. That's me oh, yeah. asking who, like, what's the demographic yeah. that you're Usually going Usually mostly our age and yeah, 25 People we know our age because round, that's about as far as we've been able to, like, network and spread. Around the high school level. Yeah. I know we have gotten right. a few, like, people noticing us, like, knowing where we're from yeah. uh, in our We our got school. a listen Local from area. Pakistan, but I'm assuming that's a VPN. <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't know how you found us from fashion. All right. Yeah. Well, then, assuming those who are listening to this podcast are also, you know, around your rage and are working their way through high school, um, I guess, I guess the most important takeaway message I have here is that the biggest, the biggest thing we need right now, and the the most valuable change that can happen comes with empathy, like. Even within our own communities, even within the 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 two S LGBTQ, there is division, there is challenge, there is conflict, there is difference, um, and not all of it not all of it is is productive or necessary. We, you know, I see dialogue, for example, around the 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 progress pride flag and how it wasn't the rainbow enough, or I see things like biphobia and I see things like transphobia that come from within the queer community itself. I think that it's important for all of us as we're entering the broader world beyond school and beyond the academic to recognize that all of the possible change ahead, all of it represents an opportunity for growth. Where you are right now is not where you're going to be in five years with any luck. Things are going to change dramatically one way or another no matter who you are listening to this it doesn't matter change is inevitable and embracing change is important embracing what's beyond your own worldview your own scope is important and recognizing especially if you're someone who's in the process of questioning or understanding yourself recognizing that the process of questioning and the process of understanding yourself is lifelong that change is good that there is no wrong answer to who you are. And the only person who can define who you are is you. But be open to the change. Be open to the possibility that you'll learn something new that changes your worldview, whatever side of the coin you're on right now. Recognize that there are endless and limitless opportunities ahead of you to grow and to learn. And these are not limited by the academia. These are things that are life. The best things in life I have ever done have come as a result of me looking inwards and saying, what can I learn about myself? How can I grow from this? How can I change from this? 
How can I build from this? And that is exactly the conversation I want to be happening in schools about LGBTQ people. In the corporate, in the corporate world we were talking about, where we're looking at ways we can we can make improvements to the lot of those who those who identify with our communities. Change is the ingredient. Growth and empathy are the ingredients that build that. And the more we are open to it and the more that we embrace that and the more that we look inward and challenge ourselves to build on those changes and to grow further, that's where that's where the magic happens and that's where progress happens and that's how we become better than we are. Well, thank you so much, Kyle, for joining us today. That was, that was, very that was great. Deep. Very good yeah. answers. Um, for uh, it's my pleasure. I really enjoyed myself. For our podcast, if uh, listeners want to listen to more, uh, you can check the description for social media. Uh, Kyle, if you want to plug anything, you mean- uh, buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, send us a link, and I'll uh, add a uh, hyperlink in our description if you want. You'll have to. You'll have to yeah. remind me, but you betcha. Links uh, well, for yeah, so Kyle's stuff in the description. Yeah. Yeah. You actually have a totally. book, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I have a copy of it. Do you guys want oh, yeah? Do you want to say what your book is? Should we... Uh, it is called Wyvern. It was self-published a few years ago. The story follows a trans boy exploring a world where gender has much less meaning than it has here. Uh, it's a fan- it's a, a fantasy romp. If you're, into, if you're into fantasy and dragons and magic and that kind of stuff, there. It's, it's up your alley. Then get Kyle's. Book. Okay, well, get all of Kyle's, Kyle's stuff will also be in the description along yeah. with our own. Uh, thank you for listening. Do yes. you want to do the Alon outro, where basically yes, this always. is this is what I do a, on every episode. So you can't not do it. Right. What I do <laughs> is I say this has been, and then I say something, and then Got like it. usually guy related to so, the topic. And then I say, Wait, are this you has offering been... Kyle the chance to do yes, it? Yes, I oh. want Kyle to do oh, it. Oh, I thought you were... Oh, yeah. So this is how it goes, right? So basically, so, something related to the topic that we spoke on today, and then usually I say guy or man. Uh, and then... Can you give me an the... example? Because you lost yeah, me a little bit. Yeah, for example, here. Here is the example. Last time I did... Last episode was on mental health. Yeah. I think I said, the, I this has been mentally healthy guy. And this has been a podcast that's made me unmentally healthy. So <laughs> yeah, that's so that's the outline. You're outro. getting a once in a lifetime chance, unless you come on here again. Yeah. Uh. Go ahead. Do you want to? Or I it could be bad. I don't could, even know don't how to? I would. <laughs> I'm having a hard leave. time picturing that one. This has been this has been uh, this has been fabulously queer guy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Perfect. you. And this has been <laughs> fabulously queer teacher guy <laughs> on okay. on the podcast. What's the podcast? Uh, bugger, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> intellectual right. stupidity. Hey. That's it. Hey. I right. just gave you a prime example of intellectual stupidity. I'm All right. Take and... <laughs> Thank you so much, Kyle. You All did. Right. Oh, yeah. my pleasure. My pleasure. It's it. This was this was a unique and wonderful experience. I enjoyed it. <laughs>